our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. And you can find that on page 981 of the Red Bibles. And we also have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. And the page numbers for those are on the screen. So it's Matthew chapter 14, starting to read at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he told the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joe, thank you very much for that. And uh, please keep that passage open as, you, uh, as, as we pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would speak to us this morning. Uh, we are thirsty, we are hungry for your word. We pray that you would open it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I feel sorry for the Sunday school leaders this morning. I think it's going to be a lively time in there. Um, but uh, you have Matthew 14 in front of you, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it's mentioned in every gospel. And Matthew and Mark actually record a second story as well. There's one the feeding of the 4,000. And uh, these mir- miracles of multiplication happen in these desolate places. And I think that's meant to teach us something. Now, by way of introduction, getting into the theme, our our youth team were on a training session um, this week, and they were learning about Generation Z. Have you heard of Generation Z? Um, Well, uh, anyway, some of you are Generation Z here, if you're under 19. Um, Apparently, this particular generation have lived with the constant threat of terrorism, and a constant digital environment. Now, put those two things together. I don't know what happens to your brain. And if you're a parent of one, please don't worry. But that's... An, that's a, so we... I, someone like me, you know, I came into computers late, as you probably know, which is why I have to use a Mac. But um, uh, the, the, the Generation Z, completely different. Now, actually, when you think about it, um, quite a lot of people have lived with the threat... Of, uh, of terror or difficulty or of some kind or other. And the early Christians certainly did. Um, they, uh, uh, th- there was a great threat to the Christian church at the beginning. And here, in this particular gospel, you see that there's a, there's a threat to Jesus 
as well. Just before the feeding of the 5,000, you get this story about Herod and John the Baptist and so on, this threat. Now, how do you do ministry in such an environment, an unpromising environment? That's the question. The parable of the sower says that there will be a great, a great harvest. Christianity will grow. But how do, you, how do you do that in a desolate environment? Well, we turn to the miracle of multiplication. So uh, here we go. We have three things to see. Miracle of multiplication. What's the context? Here it is. It's rejection. So chapter three, uh, so it's up 13, sorry, verses uh, 53 and onwards, you see the heading of prophet without honor. So Jesus has already been rejected by the religious leaders. We've seen that. Now he goes to his hometown, Nazareth. Thought it might be helpful, might be friendly, but no. This, who is this? They say, who is this? We know his brothers and his mother and so on and so forth. And they took offense at Jesus. Then the next story, chapter 14, 1 to 12. Uh, Jesus is under threat from Herod. Herod had put John the Baptist to, to death in, a, in, a, in an awful, grisly kind of way. And, then, and he hears of Jesus and he thinks, oh, this is John the Baptist come back to life again. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the end for, for, for John was, was, was awful. It was, he was cruelly treated, treated. He had dared to do something that actually is very difficult today as well, which is to challenge the sexual ethics of the ruling class. <laughs> Uh, he'd said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to take uh, your, your, your brother's wife, particularly when he's alive. It is not lawful. That resonates with today, doesn't it? A kind of ruling Herodian class today does not wish to hear God's wholesome law and will bite your head off if challenged. What happened to John the Baptist? So this is the situation. He's got the, the Pharisees against him. His family don't understand him. And the ruling Herodian class are thinking, wow, what we did with John the Baptist, we'll do with Jesus. And into this situation, we're meant to think, how on earth does the ministry continue? Surely they should wait for more promising times. How are you going to grow a movement? Well, Jesus took the disciples away. They went by boat over to the other side of the lake to a solitary place. Hearing this, it tells us in verse 13, the crowds followed him from the towns. Now, we're not quite sure why they followed him. It might have been because they wanted to make him an alternate, an alternate king. And John, John's gospel says that. Whatever it was, they needed him, and they followed him from the towns. And Mark's gospel t says that, uh, that the disciples were exhausted from ministry, and so they get to the other side, and they see that their workers followed them around. They thought they were going to take a break, and they're not. And uh, they land, but what you see is Jesus' astonishing reaction. He sees the large crowd. Every time Jesus sees a crowd... Um, it seems that it brings out a reaction in him. In chapter 9, verse 36, he sees the crowd and he sees them as harassed and helpless. 
And he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Here again, there is that extraordinary word. Um, He sees them and he has compassion. It says that he heals them. He probably taught them as well. And that's a remarkable response, isn't it? There's threat on every side. I'm kind of blocked in here and I'm really worried I'm going to knock the communion table over. That would be that's a threat. You say, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to turn it around. It's all right. You'll see. But there's threat on every side. What's he going to do? <laughs> we feel it in our own society, don't we? It's difficult to vocalize being a Christian. What do you do? Do you hunker down? No, his, his, his reaction is extraordinary. Instead of hunkering down, instead of shrinking down, his heart grows larger. He sees the crowd and he has compassion. Now we've had that word before, compassion. It's a, it's a wonderful word. The Greek word is splanknitsomai, something like that. Now Jonathan Talon, Talon will tell you the exact, the exact, exact sort of words, but it's where you get the words for your splag and your spleen and your guts and whatever. And it means moved in your bowels. Now, we're not going to be able to say, that doesn't work, does it really for you? No. But you know what I mean? It's a gut. It's a gut love. He's moved from here. And it's only used in the Gospels of Jesus or parabolic references to God. So uh, it's used of Jesus. He sees the leper and moved with compassion, he touches the leper. He touches the leper. Or in the parable of the Good Samaritan, but a Samaritan walked by and seeing the beaten up Jew in the corner, he moved with compassion, went and helped him. Or the parable of the lost son. The father sees the son coming back and moved with compassion, he runs to meet him. Time and again, that word, compassion, comes. It's a deep gut love. So in the face of threat, point one, the unpromising situation, we might shrink, but Jesus' heart grows larger. He doesn't see the problem. He just sees the need. He, He doesn't let the circumstances dictate to him. He knows there's a gospel to go out that that feeds the hungry and the helpless, those like sheep without a shepherd. That's Jesus. Now, how do you and I get a heart like that? So secondly, the impossible ask. I love this bit. Well, I don't really, (laughs) because I, 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 I feel it's addressed to me and to you. The evening approaches... And uh, with the evening, the disciples see that there is a problem. Uh, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, verse 15, this is a remote place, second time it's mentioned. Um, This is a desolate place. Um, It's getting late. And and what they mean by it's getting late is it's past dinner time. (laughs) So would you please um, send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food? So here they are. They see and they analyze the problem. There's nothing here. They correctly analyze the problem. There are no towns or villages. 
It's desolate. But Jesus questions their solution. Send the crowds away. Jesus stunningly says, just look at it. They do not need to go away. Can you imagine if you were a disciple and you just hear, they don't need to go away. What's actually going on here? Well, Jesus is questioning their their decision making. If I could put it like this. They see a problem and they have a solution. Pragmatically thought through. Very good. But Jesus says, you've missed something out. PCC members, please note. Anybody involved in decision making, please note. Someone or something has got left out of the decision making process. It should not be just problem solution. It is problem prayer solution. Who is with them? In prayer, you're not telling God your solution, by the way. No, prayer is looking to the Lord. It is bringing him, his presence, into the very issue. Lord, we have a problem. Exactly. You're in a desolate place, right? But don't just rush to the solution. Lord, what are we going to do? You know, very at the very beginning of this, this, this whole Matthew's Gospel, we, we started by saying uh, Jesus is described as God with us. And at the very end of the Gospel, do you remember what it said? I am with you always. So as a Christian church, we see a problem, but we go to him. He is with us. And what does he say? He says they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. The impossible ask. You give them something to eat. I love that. I love it and I hate it. Because, of course, you can see Jesus there. Yeah. You do something about it. Now, of course, uh, the other Gospels record the frustration of the disciples. And uh, it is put very briefly here. They're not only aware of the location of the problem, but um, the resources are slim. Five loaves, two fishes. It's totally inadequate. So what does Jesus say? Look, that's all we've got, Lord. We can't, we can't do it. So what does Jesus say? He says, bring those five loaves and bring them to me. Give me the little you have got. Now when Jesus does that, he's following a pattern <coughs> in the Old Testament <coughs> of something that God has done through people before. So do you remember the story of Elisha and the widow? It, it's a time of um, deprivation and, uh, and, uh, and she, uh, she only has a little jar of oil. And, and uh, Elisha says, go and get all lots of other jars of oil and then start pouring the oil into the other jars. And as she pours the oil into the other jars, it, uh, it multiplies. Or do you remember when, 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 when Moses was before God and he was told that he you know, had to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt and uh, Moses is feeling completely inadequate and then God says to Moses, what have you got in your hand? A staff. Okay, well we'll start with the staff. We'll use the staff. Do you remember when he throws the staff down and all sorts of wonderful things happen? He just, just give me what you've got. So you and I are asked to serve Jesus in all sorts of ways, are we not? And you are completely aware that you are inadequate uh, uh, to do it. And, and so somebody comes up to you and says, would you, would you do it? You know, we need somebody. Oh, no, I, I couldn't possibly do it. And part of you, so you think you're being humble when you're saying that, of course. But what you're really saying is, Jesus, you can't work a miracle through me. 
Or you might be saying, look, you don't know how sinful I am. Well, actually, he does know how sinful. He knows how sinful you are. But of course, if you're a Christian, you are forgiven. Isaiah didn't feel he was up to the task. He said, I learned a lot, I'm sinful. And then a coal touched his, his mouth and he says, right now, go and speak. You are forgetting me in the problem. You've got the problem, there's the solution. But you're forgetting the middle bit. Problem, prayer, solution. Because Jesus is with us. He knows you're sinful, he knows you're inadequate. But he still gives you the job. I love it when he calls the disciples, um, follow me. I will make you. I I will make you fishers of men. I'll do it through you. Don't focus on your inadequacy. Just focus on him. He's he's the thing that matters. He's the one that matters. Right. Okay. Now we come to you feed them. There you are. That's the impossible ask. Give me the little you have. Now the undeliverable offer. This... um, I, I, this, this came to me this week. I, I, I was very struck by this. Um, this next bit. I hadn't really seen it before. I tried to imagine myself in the situation of a disciple. And then I imagined myself as Anton Deck. At, no, sorry, this is a bit weird, I know. I imagined myself as Anton Deck at, at Britain's Got Talent. And you see the most unpromising person coming out. And you think, this is, this, this, is, this, is going to be, this is going to be awful. This is going to be disastrous. And so what does, see, what does Jesus do? Okay, he's not the, I'm promising, if you know what I mean. But the situation is very, he told the people to sit down on the grass. So he's preparing them for a meal. And they all know, they all know what, what, what's coming. Five loaves and two fishes, right? The disciples know that. But the 5,000 don't know that. So they all sit down. And then uh, he gets them to sit down on the grass. Then he takes the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And, and they're thinking, no, 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 he can't deliver. This is almost comedy. The tension must have been huge. 5,000, it says, men, besides women and children. That was the Jewish way of counting. Um, how is this going to work? This is undeliverable. Christianity is undeliverable. What have you got? What have we got? A message in the power of the Spirit. What have we got? That's all we've got. <laughs> it's undeliverable. We're going to change the world with a message. Undeliverable. Really? Except, you see, that it does. <laughs> Christianity has changed the world. Who and who feeds the crowds? It, this is, you know, the impossible ask. This is going back to the second point. I, I do love that. Is it Jesus who feeds the crowds? No, it isn't. He gives, it, he gives the five loaves and two fishes to the disciples, and the disciples set the food before the people. And it says, they all ate and were satisfied. It was a huge feast, and there was so much left over. In contrast to Herod's meal in the previous uh, section. This is a picture, this is certainly a picture of the messianic banquet at the end of time. We we, we find it hard to imagine this is is going to work, don't we, humanly speaking. But it will be an extraordinary, uh, unimaginable 
time when thousands and millions and billions are fed at the Messianic banquet because they've been brought to Jesus Christ. And we sing, don't we, as a song, we will feast in the house of Zion. That's what's coming. There will be a Messianic banquet. It will happen. What an extraordinary miracle. What are we to make of it? Just go back. Um, If we work backwards, as it were, just think through the story. We work backwards. He meets the real needs of the people. They, they, They all came, maybe hoping for a king, hoping for something different. And one day he will meet our needs beyond all imaginings. But there he meets their needs. And we know that that will happen. And indeed, even now, people are coming to Jesus Christ and their needs are being met. They found a Savior who forgives them. I am not skilled to understand how it happened, but it happened. Secondly, he works through the disciples. We feel the ministry is an impossible task. It is, but he is with us, you see. He uses the little we have to feed the multitude. And finally, can I say, his kingdom triumphs in unpromising situations. It is a desolate place. Um, And in that desolate place, the Herodians, his family don't understand him. The Jewish leaders are against him. But his kingdom triumphs. And, uh, and, And therefore we are to continue in his compassion at the toughest of times. So let me start back again with the idea of threat as we come to the end. Do threats and difficulties overwhelm you? Humanly, of course, it's understandable. But very dangerously, we, we sometimes look into the future and we imagine scenarios. So Christian-wise, you might imagine scenarios. You think, oh, how on earth is the church going to survive? Or, or personally, we imagine scenarios. How, how are we going to survive if this and that happens? Uh, uh, and, and we become anxious. And we begin to think, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, if, if such and such happened, I don't know how I would survive. Do, do, do threats and difficulties overwhelm you? I was very struck by a verse. I was going to put it on screen, but I mean, you probably know 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation or no trial or no difficulty has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or slash tested... When you're tempted or tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Literally in the Greek, it says, with the temptation or the test, also the escape. With the testing, also the escape. Now, what is that, what's that saying? Well, in, in our own personal situation, uh, I often refer to this, but... Uh, if you had told me what was going to happen to my daughter Claire a month before it happened, I'd have gone to bits. You see? But when it happened, we were given the strength. Do you see? So don't imagine a scenario before it's happened. When it actually comes, then you find the strength. Then you are upheld. Then you are helped. In the temptation, also the escape. Because you're here now still, aren't you? Still believing. 
So, we come to communion today. It reminds us that actually there was an ultimate blessing and breaking of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And that as you come forward with all your inadequacies, with nothing in your hands you bring, you feel very weak, just simply your sins, as it were. Jesus gives you everything you need from the cross, forgiveness, grace and strength so that the kingdom can go forward. His work is impossible, always has been. It will take a miracle. Of course it does. But look, in your desolate place, whatever it might be, just give to Jesus the little you've got and see the miracle of multiplication. Whatever it is that you're called to do, come to him and say, Lord, help me. Give me what I need. And you will find he does. And that is how the Christian church has grown. From 12 disciples, slash 11 disciples, to now. See, it's happened. So it could happen through you. Let's keep going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing miracle. In so many of the Gospels, and some of them twice. Just to teach us that when you're with us, you do that miracle of multiplication. Lord, we feel inadequate to the task that you have called us, whatever that task is. How can we manage? Lord, help us not to imagine the difficulties in the future, but just to keep serving you joyfully now and speaking of you now, showing you in in, in various different places now. And Lord, may others be drawn to you And may your kingdom grow and multiply as we see that miracle happening again and again and again through us. So we give you, Lord, the little we've got right now. Lord, work through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.